Welcome to The Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Banker Midweek. This week, your editors are myself, Liz Lumley, Joy McKnight, and Alia Shipley. Hello, how are you? Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Excellent. I love, I love it. We've got a whole, we have an in-house team today <laughs> as, we, as we're gearing up on this spooky, we're recording this on Halloween, uh, so we are, we're all waiting for our candy later on. Um, so as our listeners know, The Banker Midweek is our weekly discussion of stories live on the Banker site and newsy bits that will influence future stories. So I'm going to start with a story on the Banker site, uh, which is a UK-centric story. So looking at what does the UK banker bonus cap scrap mean? Which, that's a, that's which, a tongue twister there. Uh, Anita Hauser put on Slack <laughs> earlier that that is a tongue twister. It's from our investment banking editor, Michael Climes. Uh, so basically, the aim of axing the cap on banker bonuses is to boost the City of London's international competitiveness and to make the UK more attractive to foreign investors. These efforts are all part of the Edinburgh Reforms agenda in this post-Brexit world that the UK finds itself in. So, Alia, what do you what do you think of this, uh, I need to say it, bonus, banker bonus cap scrap? Yeah, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's um, I think, honestly, I know it's about risk um, for the banks when it comes to the salaries and how much, you know, people, how, how high the bonuses can go. But for me, it's it's more about the timing of it, that the government's yeah. actually um, said that this will be enforced, you know, as of today. I think it's questionable because in the background, what everybody's actually talking about is, you know, cost of living crisis and people feeling the pinch and everything. And then now they've come out that the cap will be taken away for bankers' bonuses. And it was only capped at two times their annual salary. So it wasn't like, Man. you know. Um, how, how did they survive? Exactly. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I think really it's it's just maybe questionable timing on the government side. Yeah, there was a, I think it was on Have I Got News for You, which is a a satirical program in the UK. A Tory MP said uh, said the same thing. It was an odd time to be relaunching this. Yeah, but yeah. to be honest, they have been talking about it for quite some time, and I remember because I wrote a blog about it in September 2022, so a whole year and a bit ago, which was about should it be scrapped should the cap be scrapped uh, and uh, what was interesting is that I ran a poll on the in our LinkedIn community the bankers LinkedIn community about whether or not people were in favor of taking away the cap and 70% of the people said yes mm -hmm. that responded were yes in favor and I have to say I remember having a conversation with uh, someone a very long time ago after obviously after the the cap came in and what they were saying is really that it's a, you know, it is a competitive issue. You know, if you think about the U.S. doesn't have a bonus cap at all and things. And so when you're trying to attract the top talent, mm. you know, okay, so the best way to attract them is to, to have this bonus scheme, you know, un unlimited, etc. But I do think, like, I didn't agree with that argument yeah. then <laughs> because I do believe... Um, that there, you know, there there was a reason to bring it in at that time. Obviously, since then, the whole regulatory environment has moved on, and there's a lot more senior management responsibility in terms of the senior managers regime, etc. Uh, and I think the UK has also put in place the ability to to actually claw back 
the bonuses if mm. in future they find out something has gone wrong. Mm. But I still think, <laughs> not a, you know what I mean? You're just like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, and then 70% of the people that uh, voted in favor of scrapping the cap, you know, were they mostly bankers? Yeah. Obviously, I mean, like in the it, banker Do you community. want more money or less money? <laughs> oh. Hmm, let me think. Um, but I mean, in terms of like dealing with the post-Brexit reality we're in, I think financial, like th- London especially, will always attract the top in financial services. I mean, if you want to attract more talent to the UK, you know, I don't know, pay hospitality workers more, mm-hmm. <laughs> pay farm workers more. Mm-hmm. That seems to be more about attracting. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm moving off to the banker <laughs> world, but I think we're all kind of in agreement. But just before we move mm-hmm. on, I just mm-hmm. want to say everyone can join the banker community on LinkedIn. We now <laughs> <Yes>. have more <laughs> than 35,000 community members. Uh, so yeah, let us, us get to forty thousand by the yeah, new year. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> join us, join us. Um, so the next thing is, uh, I, I kind of liked this story. This is River North takes stock of the SPAC market, um, which uh, was a I, I kind of like, kind of years ago when I liked initial coin offerings, which uh, went kind of the same way as SPACs. Um, oh, yeah, I remember, I remember that trend. I didn't write a feature about it. <laughs> but it's, um, uh, you know, I like alternative funding, uh, people trying alternative ways to, to raise funding. So this is um, an interview with the CEO, CEO and CIO of R- River North Capital Management um, of why there's still money to be made from SPACs, even though uh, a lo- there has been a decline uh, in the era known as the SPAC fad and new issues this year are in the lowish double figures. But I just want to read this quote um, from uh, from the, the CEO of River North Capital. Um, what River North does is essentially take advantage of fear and greed in the marketplace, says Patrick Galley. Sometimes that fear and greed leads to inefficiencies that we are able to exploit. The market was trending towards greedy before. Now it's going towards fearful and we will be able to take advantage with a contrarian mindset. It's behavioral finance more than anything looking at true discounts and premiums. What do you think of that? That's how people make money, in the inefficiencies, well, yeah. frictions. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> in the marketplace. Um, Ali, I don't know if you wanted to come in on this. Nope. Um, well, I just, I thought the, uh, you know, it's a agenda piece, which is looking at um, someone's viewpoint within the market. Mm. So I thought that was interesting because, as you pointed out, Liz, the special purpose purpose acquisition vehicle Excellent, market, thank you, thank you. SPACs, <laughs> uh, which is really a blank check um company right so that just like you know blew out of proportion maybe about a year year and a half ago mm. uh, and everyone was getting into SPACs and now most of the SPACs actually have been un- unwound without actually acquiring a company so I agree with you I like things that are innovative and you know different and uh, you know and fills a need in the market mm. But obviously, maybe not the most successful. But I don't think we're seeing the, l- the last of SPACs, for sure. I'm sure there'll be a SPAC comeback. SPAC comeback. <laughs> oh, you, you did it before me. <laughs> SPACs are back. <laughs> With a vengeance. No, I'm just joking. On the Halli- Hall- Halloween theme. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get to some scary stuff later on, uh-oh, trust me. Um, so n- the next we're looking at, so we are gearing up, um, a lot of people in the industry are gearing up for COP28. Um, so this is a story uh, about the European Investment Bank by one of our contributors, Philippa Nuthall. The EIB's head of ESG hopes for a more switched-on private sector at this year's COP28 meetings in Dubai, which is interesting in itself, but says much more could be achieved 
if COPs on climate change and biodiversity were combined. So it's very, a lot of people are very interested in this year's COP because it is right smack dab in the middle of the Gulf um, and a lot of oil producing, oil wealthy countries. Um, but there seems to be a bit of hope that the private sector is becoming much more involved uh, to find that. Uh, let me see where the, I should have circled this quote I wanted to read here. Uh, so someone talked about, uh, they believe the private sector is much more tuned into the topic and the need for transition finance. So hopefully uh, these people will engage in the upcoming conference. So Alia, what do you, what do you, what do you make? Are you, are you uh, excited for the next COP? Um, well, I think it'll definitely be interesting to see what comes out with it on private sector finance, because this is something that also MDBs are talking about, not just in multilateral the development banks. <laughs> We're gonna de acronym. De acronym. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's something that multilateral development banks are talking about a lot, not just in the climate space, but more widely about you know how do we meet investment gaps and how do we finance everything that needs to be financed. I like that Stephen O'Driscoll, who Philippa interviewed, um, ESG head at, uh, well, environmental social governance head at European <laughs> Investment Bank, <laughs> um, he talks about that it's not just about climate change, mm. it's about nature, and mm. they're being talked about more and more in the same breath. And I feel that that shifts the view from something that's going to happen in the future, from a threat that's imminent to let's look at nature as it is now and how mm. nature is being used now. And I think that's really positive. Um, and on that, I think it will be interesting to see uh, that next year, the European Investment Bank, alongside the European Commission, are working to actually define a nature and biodiversity risk screening tool, mm. um, similar to the one that it uses for climate risk. And I think that's a really positive step forward. And I hope that nature and biodiverse biodiversity will kind of be a focus at COP not just this kind of idea of climate change, mm. which is which feels like something that's sort of going to happen or that we're going to need to do something about, but rather nature and biodiversity as it is. Mm. Yeah, it's because everyone had their focus, let's say, on the COP26 in Glasgow, COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh last year. Um, but two weeks later, there was COP15, which was all about biodiversity and nature uh, in Montreal, I think, uh, last year. And so I like the idea of actually bringing it together, just as you said, Alia. I think that's, uh, you know, and Stephen O'Driscoll says, I think that's a very good idea. And I also think that that's what a lot of the people that are working in this area are actually pushing for as well. Um, so you think about uh, the task force for uh, nature disclosures, um, which are trying to come with up with a framework as well that goes along with the climate disclosures, TFCD. Um, I think working together, and they, they did the TFND, <laughs> Task Force on <laughs> Nature, Nature Disclosure. The bank where acronyms go to die. I know. <laughs> um, I think they're, the, you know, they've modeled their framework on this TFCD. <laughs> uh, and so they've modeled their framework on the TFCD. Uh, and so it will be able to actually come together and stuff. And I think this is definitely something that the banks really need to to take on board, and a lot of them already are. Like we noticed in the Bankers Investment Banking Awards this year, you see a lot of sustainability linked bonds mm. and stuff. But across other other awards, it was in the Innovation and Digital Banking yeah. Awards. There's a lot of, and also the Transaction Banking mm. Awards. Climate came up a lot. But really mm. taking on board mm. not just climate, but the the mm. uh, the d biodiversity and nature element to it, because you have to think about the world as a as a giant ecosystem. 
right? And climate has these huge impacts on biodiversity and nature, and you can't take that separate. And you mm. also have to include the social element as well. So mm. pulling it all together. So it's not becoming less complex, but more. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Excellent. So moving now to our next uh, banker story, we have a lot of on the banker site stories today, which we can go and read on thebanker.com. Um, so this is interesting. I, I love stories about, I was speaking to someone this morning that said, um, despite people commenting that globalization is slowing down, globalization isn't actually slowing mm. down. And we live in a very global uh, world where people move, move to different countries. So this is a story from one of our contributors, Bill Lumley, Newcomers to the UK may transport their credit scores. So uh, long delays in the ability to gain access to credit by new entrants to the UK are being addressed by a system launched in partnership between HSBC UK and cross-border credit bureau Nova Credit. And I wanted to read this quote because I really like when there are people that work at banks that have a personal connection to some of the products that they're developing. So this is Madhu Kerr-Kell-Rewal head of unsecured lending at HSBC UK, who said, when I came here 12 years ago from the US, we did not have this kind of facility and I felt like I was starting from scratch again. So it is quite personal for me. Um, you know, and we have people around the table that came to this country yeah. from another country um, trying to get bank accounts and credit. So I just, I, I really kind of, uh, this, uh, this looking at how banks kind of do support so many aspects of our life um, and when you, have less support in certain areas it is felt and it is very very personal yeah I mean access and credit is such a basic thing right and um, of course if you're starting a life in a new country it's sort of even more important in a way so um, and it's such a big stat that nearly nearly all of the UK's net population growth comes from immigration so this is a big portion of people that obviously mm. facing issues you know just getting a credit card or perhaps taking it alone. Um, so I think it's a very important step forward. And I would also be interested to know more about uh, how how access actually compares across different um, across different immigrants. So for example, is it mm. harder or, or easier if you're from the EU compared to the US, compared to mm. East Africa or South Asia? And um, any kind of discrepancies across that, I think, you know, should also kind of be ironed out and addressed too. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think in the story it also says from the HSBC side, there's no plan for the bank to target any particular customer profile, but mm. they will offer, the, offer this to all of its international customers. Mm. As mm. a whole. Mm. I think it, it comes to the heart of financial inclusion, really, as mm. well, right? And things. And if you can't access any kind of credit or have a credit history, that means you can't get a, you know, you can't rent a flat, you can't buy a house, mm. you can't, you know, as you said, Alia, get a credit card, you can't, you know, it just restricts so much of what you can do and some people just struggle so much in trying just to access that financial system that can actually help them in their daily lives so mm. yeah I really like the story as well I thought it was super interesting um, and uh, but I, I also I'm interested to figure out how it works <laughs> actually <laughs> and how you know how the Nova Credit actually allows this to happen and what you mm. have to do in order to to make that application, etc. Mm. Yep. Well, to find out more, you can read the story on 
thebanker.com. <laughs> so we are now in our final story, and we are at that time in the podcast where we leave the banker site. Oh, no, don't. And we're going to a very scary story. Um, and I was, I was challenged by our Africa and Middle East editor, John Everington, to see if I could uh, call Elon Musk a massive banker which I have. <laughs> um, he, so this is news that Elon Musk, who bought Twitter and turned it into X, has now said within a year it will replace your bank. So this was in The Verge, uh, which they got a hold of a recording of a uh, town hall call on Thursday at X. Elon, wa- Elon Musk wants to be the center of your financial world, handling anything in your life that deals with money, and he expects this to be launched by the end of next year, and I have to read this quote from the Verge story in its entirety. Um, This is from Elon Musk, supposedly. When I say payments, I actually mean someone's entire financial life, Musk said. Uh, If it involves money, it will be on our platform. Money or securities or whatever. It's not just like sending $20 to my friend. I'm talking about like you won't need a bank account. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so does that mean the banker will be gone? Or <laughs> is he trying to wipe us out? We're going to be called X. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I have, I have no interest in having X be my bank or for money securities or whatever <laughs> to go with us. Mm. Um, but it's all about trust. Yeah. It's all about trust, right? Yeah. So do you trust Elon Musk and X? To hold all your financial information. And and also, and yeah. Data, money, mm. everything. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I actually, I wanted to keep on that because I'm going ahead of myself. Yeah, it is. It is about trust. That That's the ace in the hole that, you know, traditional incumbent legacy banks have. They they have, they're secure and they're regulated and they mm. have that trust. Regulated which trust. Is, so yeah, important. Which is not the same as like. You know, trust and like are not synonymous. Mm. You trust that your paycheck goes into your bank account. Mm. I would not trust that my paycheck went into X. Mm. That's that. That's the difference. But another thing that I was thought was interesting. I'll get to you, Ali. I'm sorry. This is one yeah, of my no, bugbears. No. <laughs> this will be my my t- editor's blog tomorrow. By the way, um, when he says this will be launched by th- this will be the n- the end of next year. Now, one of my favorite interviews is interviewing people that start banks because I always want to ask them why. Mm. You know, was there Middle East peace talks you could have been involved with? It would have been easier. But mm. there's, it's a very complicated thing to do. And this idea that this is all just going to happen, money, securities, whatever, in a year, mm. is overwhelmingly arrogant and naive. Mm. <laughs> and well, hey, it's a complete, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, ignorance yeah. of of the banking industry in its totality, right? I know he was involved with PayPal, but still, anyway, what do you think? I'll move over to you. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think saying that it's going to happen by the end <laughs> of next year, it also doesn't help on the trust aspect. Mm. And I'm Gen Z; I'm supposed to be the demographic that would be jumping at this. But I wouldn't, and I think part of the problem is the the whole aesthetics of it, because Elon Musk is a person with personal views, and he makes that very known Mm. on the platform. And so, because he's made himself so synonymous with X, it literally feels like you would be banking with him. You'd be handing over Mm. everything to him. It feels like he'd be sat at the top, (laughs) kind of able to look at all of these things, whereas, you know, I'd much rather queue up outside my high street 
you know, regulated mm. bank that I feel there's like a whole board of people, there's a whole group of people, not just this kind of one person. Um, I mean, I know, I know that's only on the face of it, of course, mm. X has a whole, you know, body of people too, but because he's such a, a figurehead at the mm. top of X, it just, it doesn't make me feel, well, mm. I don't feel trust and I don't yeah. feel comfortable with that kind of relationship that I'd have. But it's also a bit like Facebook's announcement that it was going to create it, you know, its own currency. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Are you two on Facebook? Yes. I, so I'm, I, you're not. Are you on Facebook? No, you're not going to say. But we, but you are denied. You, there is no comment from Troy <laughs> McKnight. But no, but this is, this was, um, I am, because you know what? I like seeing the babies of kids I went to mm, yeah, school yeah, with exactly. grow up, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, the um, today, I got all these messages saying, do you want to link your payment cards to Facebook? This is like, and it was the very brand new. And I'm wondering whether this is kind of a reaction to this, mm. mm-hmm. that they're they're trying to, mm. you know, I, I just went, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but um, it's interesting to see. But that and whole Libra project, which was, mm. again, had a very tight time frame for anyone who's in the industry and understands how regulate regu- regulators and regulations work, um, it reminds me a lot of that project that mm-hmm. has since pretty much resolved. Yeah. And There's also a background to this as well. I, I know a lot of people in the tech world are enamored with the WeChat style mm, everything yeah. super app, yeah, right? Yeah. Which which is, you know, if you've been to China or you live in China, everyone uses WePay, WeChat, everyone uses um, this, this, this centralized um, ubiquitous uh, payment and it's also a social network and all of this. And you know that works because of the way China works. Mm. This idea that you can take that and have it work in the UK or the US, I just think, is also incredibly naive. Mm. It's not the same mm. culture. It's not the same setup. Mm. True. True. <laughs> no one's disagreeing with me. <laughs> but um, it is different. Yeah. But it also, like again, uh, you know, WeChat. Uh, you know, and the whole Chinese system is like mm. has developed in a completely different way, I yeah. think, as well, right? So, and it was very unregulated for a long time, now becoming very regulated, and things are changing as well. Mm. Basically, I'm I'm in favor of decentralizing my life. I want my bank <laughs> to be separate from my social media platform. <laughs> you said it here first. Okay, thank you so much, Joy, and Elia. I hope you have a lovely, happy Halloween. Yeah, and all happy the Halloween. Treats, all the treats and none of the tricks that you're looking for. Um, and, and I want you to say it one more time. The banker bonus cap scrap. I was going to say <laughs> massive banker. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've said it again. Excellent. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more.